Welcome to the Hope Hotline this fine Wednesday afternoon. I hope you're having a great week. We are going to go straight into the questions because I I think the last time I, I talked to everybody, it was like two, two podcasts ago, I talked about myself. So we're just going to go straight into this one so I don't focus on me. It's really all about you guys. So... Our first question is, the Bible says in Romans 6.23 that eternal life is a gift from God, and Romans 6.23 that the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. My question is, why do sinners also receive eternal life in hell, if eternal life is considered a gift from God? This is in reference to the annihilation theory. Okay, I'll be honest with you. I had no idea what the annihilation theory is, so I had to look this up. I had to do a lot of research on this because I'd never, I'd never heard of it. So, you know, you're never too old to learn. Let that be a lesson. And in this case, I spent a lot of time learning. So... The annihilation theory, for those of you who are like me, who had, have not a clue what that is, it is the view that lost people in hell will be exterminated after they have paid the penalty for their sins. So, to paraphrase, if you are a sinner, the annihilation theory says that when you go to hell, you will only be there for a period of time not eternally um and they have like i have the each each argument but they have like five different arguments why they believe that you'll only spend a brief period of time in hell that you will not spend eternity in hell so i'm going to tell you what each argument is so that everybody understands so we're all on the same page for my answer so the first argument is Fire consumes what is thrown into it. So if like when you have a fire in your fireplace or your fire pit or whatever, the wood that you throw in there burns for a period of time. But after that, it's a pile of ashes. So there's nothing left, right? Ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Isn't that what um, we all are? So so basically it's saying a person, it, we, we will be nothing. You'll be a pile of, like when you're cremated, a pile of ashes. You're done. Nothing lasts in fire. Second argument is that the lost perish or are destroyed. Okay. Third argument is meaning of the word eternal. And uh, so in hell, the passages that it's talked about, it is claimed eternal means only pertaining to the age to come and not everlasting. Okay. So... What I may try and do is when I address an argument, I may try and read that argument back so everybody's on the same page. It just depends on how long this takes because, you know, I have other questions. So, fourth argument, how is it just of God to punish sinners for eternity when their crimes were committed in time? Um, that's their fourth argument. It's kind of, that's a flimsy argument, but whatever. Uh, fifth argument is God himself and his saints would never enjoy heaven if they knew some human beings, let alone loved ones, and friends were perpetually in hell. That's the fifth argument that they say. Sixth argument is eternal hell would tarnish God's victory over evil. That's kind of laughable, but whatever. 
So the first answer to the first argument, which was fire consumes what is thrown into it. So that first argument is we're going to go and we, we go and we look at the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Okay. So um, if you understand the story and if you don't understand the story, so uh, Jesus tells a parable about a, a man that's um, very poor and he sits outside of a man named Lazarus's house. And this poor man sits there and Lazarus does nothing to help this man as he sits outside um, begging for help. All right? And he just doesn't beg Lazarus, but he basically is, is, is done without and Lazarus does nothing to help him throughout this time. So um, when Lazarus, the, the poor man and Lazarus, I mean, excuse me, the rich man is, has the home and Lazarus is the beggar. Okay, sorry, mixed the two up. So Lazarus goes and he dies and he's in heaven. The rich man, go, uh, the rich man go, uh, dies and goes to hell. So what happens is, um, and this story is in Luke 16, so you can go and look in um, 16. Lazarus um, is sitting at the bosom of Abraham. And the rich man looks up. It says the rich man can see Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham. And he says to Abraham, his father Abraham, would you allow Lazarus to dip his finger into the tip of some water and, and give it to me? And Abraham says no. And he talks about being in the place of torment. Okay. So if the first argument is true, um, then it talks about in Luke 16, 28, it says the anguish in this flame, which is verse 24. So Luke 16, 28 is where it says the place of torment and then talks about the anguish in this flame for verse 24. Okay, so um, Jesus wouldn't use a parable of something that is untrue, that doesn't exist. He only told parables of truth, of things that did uh, exist. So, um, if this, the parable is true, then the people in hell can see the people in heaven. And I think that will be one of the toughest things that people will experience in hell because it's, it, in, in the scriptures it talks about hell where they're alone, they're naked, they're full of shame, they deal with the torment of, of flames, but they also have to smell the sulfur. The worst thing you can do to anybody um, in jail, they say, is to put them in isolation. And so that's one of the things. In hell, people will, will not communicate with anyone anymore. You'll be to yourselves. You'll not have anyone to, to commiserate with. But then on top of that, you'll be alone, and then you'll see your loved ones, your friends, your family, and everyone else um, where you can see them in heaven. And their lives are completely different. Part of the problem with that is you'll recall the things that they told you about the truth of sin and that they need to repent. Hopefully, we as believers are telling our loved ones and our friends they need to repent. They need to come to Christ. We need to be winning the lost so that we do know that we've done all that we can so that they don't live in, in hell and they don't live in torment. And so... With that being said, they will see you, us believers, in heaven, but they'll know 
just like Abraham, or just like the rich man knew and can recall, like that he has friends and family. They, he doesn't want them to experience what he's experienced. He even asked Abraham, please send someone to my brothers so that they don't come here. And he basically told them they have Moses. They have the word of Moses. And so, you know, Lazarus or someone from the beyond coming and talking to them to or, and speak to them will not change anything. So uh, that scripture clearly, clearly um, in Luke tells that there's a place of torment and that there's anguish in flames, uh, in the flames. So that means that your body doesn't uh, extinguish itself or, or, or um, it doesn't disintegrate. You, it, it will be like constantly ever evolving. You will feel the flames. You will feel the, the pain um, and the torture of that, but your body will never change. It will not ever become a pile of ash. Okay. Uh, Revelation 14, 10 um, through 11 clearly talks about this. It says um, we'll, that there will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and, and in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. You do not, it does not ever change. And they um, have no rest day or night. So people who go to, to hell, this scripture totally does away with that first argument um, that the annihilation theory has, okay? The answer to, um, so if you want these scriptures, it's Revelation 14, 10 through 11. Um, we'll also have them so that you can, um, in case I ever read them too fast, uh, Tracy, who's the producer, she makes sure that they're on the screen and that you can write them down and you can actually read them for yourself. Okay. Answer to argument number two. Let's go back to number two. It says that the lost perish or are destroyed. And the answer to that is Paul describes the fate of the lost as suffering, that the punishment is eternal destruction of the punishment of eternal destruction. Okay, so this is in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 8. Okay, so there's that, that argument number two that they have, totally destroyed. Paul clearly makes that clear. Answer number to number three. Let's look at that one. And that is um, the argument is meaning of the word eternal in hell passages. It is claimed eternal means only pertaining to the age to come and not everlasting. Well, we've already um, disproven that with Revelation fourteen ten through 11, that the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Okay. So the word eternal isn't there. That's the New King James Version. But at the same time, that does away with that eternal means only pertaining to the age to come well and not everlasting so again revelation 14 10 through 11 does away with that the age to come in this particular answer uh, for number three the age to come lasts as long as the life of the eternal god himself because he is eternal he lives forever and ever revelation 4 9 10 Chapter 10, verse 6, chapter 15, verse 7, all of those speak about lives forever and ever, which is God. He is eternal. So that does away with that age to come theory, okay? 
Jesus plainly sets this forth in his message with the sheeps and the goat. If you go to Matthew 25, 46, there's a part of that chapter. It's specific about sheeps and goat. And in that, if you go to verse 46, it says, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So hell is eternal. Heaven is eternal. They both will be forever and ever. And I think that's part of the problem with people um, in general comprehending or understanding eternal life. Like we know that as we exist on this earth, our bodies change. Um, and so we know that as we get older, if you don't believe um, in what Moses experienced, which is Moses climbed a mountain on his last day it says that his body um that his eyes were not dim and his force was not abated so his body was in good health and his eyesight was good um none of us as believers a lot of times expect that for ourselves we claim life and death is held in the tongue we proclaim different things like this is sore this is my back isn't as good as it used to be I can't see once you turn 40 your eyesight goes bad I mean we just proclaim so many different things over ourselves without thinking eternally like um, we as believers the word is is true that we can live to 120 I know that's shocking to a lot of people but they need to go and look at Gen Genesis Moses was the end of going beyond 120 but he lived to 120 and it says what we ourselves can live to that time time frame but eternally we uh, we never even can comprehend what eternity means so as believers we don't understand um what that is but i can promise you that uh people who are not saved they never think of things in eternity because they don't read their word their their revelation knowledge of things is far uh far less than us as believers um so so somebody who does, you know, thinks of hell or that'll proclaim, well, I'm not, I'm not going to heaven. I'm definitely going to hell. They, you know, a lot of sinners will say that I'm not going to heaven. I can promise you that. I'm going to be going straight to hell. Well, the thing is, is they don't understand what hell is really like. And they definitely don't un comprehend what etern eternal means. Um, so for them, it's just words that are spoken. They're empty. But truth is, is there is a true heaven, there's a true hell, and everyone will spend eternity in one of those places. And I think that we as believers, we don't comprehend hell either, and that's the reason why we not only don't care about the people around us and winning the lost, because we don't study the word and we don't really understand what hell is like. And if we did, we would be doing everything in our power to make sure that the, our loved ones or even people that you're standing in an elevator. I get on an elevator and I tell you this, there's a lot of times I, when I get on the elevator and there's others on there with me, I sit there and I go, if the door ever opens or whatever the case may be, I sit there and oftentimes thinks like, I think like, is, are these people on this elevator saved? Where will they spend eternity? Um, I don't know them, but you know, a lot of times you don't know people and somehow God opens the door for you to share your faith. And I'm always waiting for that opportunity with a stranger or with a friend or whatever. I'm always waiting for that opportunity for God to open the door for me to share my faith um, because he's always drawing people in. He's always drawing people in. So we as believers, we need to wake up. 
we need to wake up we need to understand uh like this is real this is this is real business this is kingdom business and we need to be about it instead of doing what we want to do every single day and fitting god into little pockets of our lives we will actually one day when we're in heaven be very disappointed we will be walking on streets of gold and we will be happy and content that is true but if we don't believe it says there'll be tears in heaven and one of my favorite teachers says there'll be tears in heaven but some of those tears will be shed not for just joy but for the things that we didn't do while we were on this earth and that we could have done i don't want that to be me and i don't want to see anyone that i know and love um care about and even my enemies i'll be honest with you i do not want to see my enemy in hell because hell is not going to be a place that any of us want anyone to be in i mean i can't stand some of these politicians that are out there i can't stand some of the things like um fauci pelosi bill gates i can't stand them but i don't want them in heaven i know that they've perpetuated a lot of death and they've done a lot of horrible things to people but even in that I do not want them going to, to hell. I want them to go to heaven. I want them to spend eternity. And the thing is, is if they got saved, how much more could they do for the kingdom? Be a powerful thing. So argument number four um, says that how is it just of, of God to punish sinners for eternity when their crimes were committed um, for time? And here's the response to that. Who are, we to, who are we to say if God is just or he's unjust? Who are you to say what is right and what is wrong? Who are you to say what is fair and not fair? Only God. And sometimes we have this uh, mindset that we know better than other people. But, you, but for us to say that we know what is better uh, than the superior the god i mean that's crazy to me a lot of times today in churches they're the ones that are saying what love is well the word of god is love the word is love god is love and jesus is the word so if jesus's word says something is love churches today are saying what's in the word of god isn't love even though they don't say it like um They'll, if you preach sin, if you preach um, uh, that those that live like this will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, if you preach um, things like obedience, they'll say those things aren't love, that we're all working out, like all of us are a work in progress. They'll, they'll have all these different things. The thing is, is they'll actually use different, they'll use terminology that actually contradicts the word, and they'll say they're what they're saying is more loving than what another church says but the the church that they're saying isn't more loving is actually preaching the word and the word is love because jesus is love it's astounding to me i hope i'm does that make sense what i just said to you guys okay all right because i don't always explain everything that great and so that's why i just wanted to make sure that i was comprehending so just because it doesn't fit under your guise of what is compassionate, what is loving. That is not for you to say. That's God's business. And if God says it's love, then it is. That's just the facts. Um, 
fifth argument god himself and his saints would never enjoy heaven if they knew someone being uh some human beings let alone loved ones and friends were perpetually in hell okay well the argument to that is i have to find it universalist believe the same argument as well and they believe that everyone will end up being saved so um actually universalism is the same as in um, the annihilation theory um so they share the same theory and that's how they have the people who follow in their faith that's one of their arguments that's how they they um one of their doctrinal um ideas it said uh, so god would never be able to enjoy knowing people in hell is is their big thing but that's not true it's like god has given everybody a choice everybody has a decision to make he is free will that's what's great about um god that's way great about jesus and the holy spirit they will never ever ever force themselves on anyone or anything everything is free will free choice everybody makes up their mind and makes up their decision on what they're going to do even like it's free will and free choice if you want the gifts of the holy spirit that he provides you don't have to take them i mean it's your loss but you don't have to take them just like salvation there is a church pretty much on every corner in the united states of america like you don't go down a road without probably seeing one church Everybody, everybody in the United States um, can be saved. They know one Christian somewhere, and there will be no one on this earth that has never had the chance of knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It was their choice whether or not they took it or not. So it's on them not to to receive him. How is that God uh, feeling? So God should feel bad that he's been rejected and... And if people decide to, to burn in hell, that was their choice. It's like, it, it's funny to me because people like break up with people, right? Uh, they'll date somebody, they'll break up with them. And it seems normal that the rejection process is okay in that regard, right? People get rejected all the time. They move on. If you've broken up with somebody, you've rejected that person, and you feel completely fine with moving on, and if, and if that person's hurt, then that's okay. That's okay for, for those people who have done that, right? We don't look down on people who break up with people or reject people. We just think that's, a, that's just life. But God being rejected and then having to just l live with people rejecting him and them going and spending an eternity in hell, God's supposed to feel bad about that, right? That makes a lot of sense. Makes no sense whatsoever. These people have made their decisions. They've decided Christianity is not for them. A lot of people make a mockery of God. Um, I mean, Madonna right now, people like that make mockeries of God. And yet, God is supposed to feel bad about them spending eternity in, he in hell. Makes no sense whatsoever to me. It, I, I just, how people justify arguments, I don't get. But, Revelation 21, 
2 through 4 and 27 says, Then I, John, so this is John in the vision, and he is speaking about the end times. It says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with, is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. They shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. That is something that everybody has a choice to receive. It's up to them. So it also says there will be no, by no means anything that will defile or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life will enter in heaven. So Jesus paid the ultimate price. Believers can receive the gift of eternal life. For sinners, the wages of sin is eternal torment. God gave up his son for us as a sacrifice. People reject that, and there's a cost of rejecting that. That's just the facts. And if we were God, I mean, maybe, maybe you're holier than him. Maybe you're more loving than him. I don't know. I think that's a joke, but maybe you see things differently, and you wouldn't be like that. But if you're a parent, and you have paid a price for your child, uh, you, you've given your child as a sacrifice for um, everyone to come to know you and uh, you've prepared a place in heaven for them and they reject you after all the ultimate sacrifices that you've provided and, and, and once you have done that then maybe you can have something to say about how God should be and maybe and how he shouldn't be but most of us wouldn't give up our dog for someone else so giving up your child would you know far exceeds that but most of us would never ever do what god did for it for all of mankind so for us to for us or anyone that believes in this annihilation theory anyone who's a universalist and believes in these things well until they've walked in god's shoes made the decisions god's made done with dealt with what god's dealt with then maybe they can be more loving than him until then i think that nobody has much to say about it um, but ultimately we're not God and God gets to decide. So, and I think he does pretty dang good. It does a good job, right? So we're going to go to, uh, question number. Well, we're going to just go to the next question because sometimes I mess up with the numbers. So I'm just going to say next question from this time, from this time point on. I think that was Aaron's idea. God bless Aaron. Cause I'm all over the place. And I was worried about how many questions I was going to get through today. Voila. I'm a big talker. You can't tease Tom anymore. Huh? Can't tease I can't Tom. tease Tom anymore. Yeah, I can. I mean, golly. Tom, he can't get through, like, I don't know how many slides. I'm doing better than him, though. Next question. I'm a little hot in here. Is it warm in here? Whew. <laughs> this sweater is a little thick. Okay. How can I know if I'm dealing with demonic attacks, generational curses, or just bad luck? Are you turning the fan on for me? God bless, woman. 
Good thing I ain't wearing a skirt. I'll be blowing up my skirt. <laughs> Heather's underneath my desk right now. <laughs> Johnny on the spot. Okay. Heather's crawling around on the floor right now. I'm so distracted. It's all good. <sighs> all right. Let me get a sip. This cold water. I'm really hot. And I don't get hot flashes. <laughs> Ladies, I prayed those things off a long time ago. You don't have to get hot flashes. Oh, I feel that. Heather goes, can you feel that? I feel that. <laughs> I'm all better. Ladies, seriously. Men, ignore this right now. Just plug your ears. This is a two-minute less little uh, commercial for women that are pre and post menopause so there's only a few of you well no there might be a lot of you listen you don't have to go through that menopause nonsense listen i literally started getting hot flashes i prayed those suckers off because they are like they are hell themselves if hell's anything like a hot flash and i think it's worse i'm pretty sure it's worse because i've heard the temperatures that are down there supposedly hot flashes are nothing girls and boys but i'm just saying pray those things off because they are terrible. Terrible. All right, let's go back to the next question. How can I know if I'm dealing with demonic attacks, generational curses, or just bad luck? Well, I can eliminate the generational curses for you immediately if you are saved. There's no way you can be dealing with a generational curse if you are a believer. And the reason is because the scriptures are clear. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, 2 Corinthians 517 it says therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation old things have passed away and behold all things have become new so whatever your history was before it's gone old things have passed away and all things have become new so you can't have a generational curse you're a new creature in christ whatever your your spirit man has now taken over and your carnal man is, is, is not the same, okay? So the spirit man is what dwells and what it is walking, talking, doing your business for you, right? So if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, a generational curse cannot exist. Okay, so we're done with that. Demonic attack. Okay, it could be a demonic attack. Um, that does happen. Um, that's being oppressed, not possessed. Sometimes if you're doing things for God, and here's the thing, I would say, I would have stipulations for this. Like a lot of times the devil doesn't have to do anything to us because we do it to ourselves. But I will say, as soon as you start doing things for the kingdom and the more that you're doing them, then you're going to face demonic attacks. That's just the, fa the fact. Satan's trying to stop you and distract you from accomplishing his, what God's will and purpose is for your life. So I will say when Tom and I started ministry, before we started in ministry, things were pretty darn good. We had some bumps in the road every now and then with just life circumstances or whatever. But then when we said we're going to enter into ministry, and this is before we were even uh, pastoring a church, he, Tom was worship leader, then he, well, we did things in the church all the time, but like we were, um, 
choir in the choir. He was the head usher. I always worked in children's ministry to certain some a certain extent, like nursery and things like this. this is before I ever had, kid, had kids. So I've always always um, served to some capacity, and so has he. But when we stepped out in ministry, he went and he was now a worship leading. He became a youth pastor. That's when we started to see a shift in things, right? Uh, just more things coming against you, and you're like, what the heck? I've never faced this or dealt with these kinds of things before. Then when we started a church, all bets were off. Like things started just, I mean, they just start coming at you like crazy. You step up your faith because everybody has a measure of faith. The problem is, is not everybody uses the measure of faith that they're given. Most of us don't. I have an, I'm still not using the measure that God has given me. But as you face adverse, adversity, you increase your faith. You start you know, speaking against these things, walking through them. He says you'll go through many trials in this lifetime, but um, you, I'll deliver you from them all. So you just start, you know, you know that, okay, this is just a moment in time. I'm going to attack this problem or this issue and you start seeing God answering you start fasting and praying you get less of your carnal nature you start walking more in the spirit so the things that used to come against you they're like you don't even recognize them after a period of time but then what Satan does is he starts amping up the attacks he starts coming against you in different ways that he didn't that don't work anymore previously so he amps them up then you have your measures of faith increase right if you are doing anything for God and you're like, you're winning the loss, you're in ministry, you're healing and you're doing miracles, things like that, you're seeking his righteousness, um, then I would say it's very possible that you're, you're coming, you know, the devil's coming against you to distract you, to keep you um, from doing what God has called you, um, your higher purpose for, your calling. So, but most people are doing nothing. That's the facts. They're not in their word. They don't spend time in prayer. Um, so, f like, the devil doesn't even need, you're not a blip on the screen for him. You're not on his radar. Not you, per se, who wrote this question. I'm just saying, in general, most people are not even on his radar. Um, demons aren't omnipresent. Like, so, like, there are only a certain number amount of demons. There's only one devil. Like, they're not omnipresent. They're not all over the place, right? Most of the time, we're doing things to ourselves. We're making bad decisions. Uh, we're in and out of our walk with God. We wonder why um, bad things happen to us. And a lot of times, like, we wonder why we have financial problems, right? Why am I never getting ahead? Well, I would say, are you giving? And I'm not saying, are you giving money? I'm saying, are you tithing okay giving is above tithing so are you giving of your tithe and offering 10 percent is the minimum and then offering should be above that if you are facing financial problems you should give more because the word is clear uh i so many people that's what they do that i am in their sphere and whenever they're in need of something they give more and then the abundance comes back more than what they actually needed most people don't give they live in lack and they feel like that's the devil coming against them no that's biblical principle not being applied to one's life and so they're reaping what they sow i mean it's as simple as that if you have problems on your job 
Could it be you're lazy? Could it be that you're not doing what's being asked of you? Um, could it be you're a procrastinator? Um, just there's so many different aspects to to reasons why people suffer. If you're having problems in your marriage and you feel like the devil's coming against it, I would say, are you being the biblical spouse that God's called you to be? Are you watching the words that you are saying to your spouse? Um, most of the time, it's us doing it and we don't want to take responsibility because it's way easier to blame the devil. But always, 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 this is one of the things that I have done in my life um, since I came back to the Lord. And that one thing that Tom always does when we're facing something um, adverse, the first thing that we always do is we look at ourselves introspectively and say, okay, what part did we play? Did we cause this to happen? And what must we do? If it was us, what must we do to fix it? If we find through the process that there really isn't anything that we did on our part, then we just spiritually attack it. Because, you know, everything is, the wars are things that we can't see. There's spiritual warfare going on constantly. And we can't see it, so we should, we should be waging war in the heavenlies. We should be putting on the armor of God every single day. So I'm going to just tell you, like, when I was not saved... Um, I don't know how many people know I love Lucy, like Lucille Ball. Like, I love Lucy. I literally remember saying to some people, I feel like um, I'm like Lucille Ball. Because every single day, something crazy, wacky, or abnormal happens in my life. What in the world? Why is my life so chaotic, so like off the charts nuts? Well, I wasn't living for the Lord. And every decision I made pretty much was the wrong one. That's just the facts. And when you make wrong decisions on a daily basis, well, you're going to reap it. And that's just the facts. It is. People just don't want to take responsibility. When I came back to the Lord, I remember um, looking in the mirror and looking at all of, all of my baggage that came with me from the like four or five years that I was not saved. I, rem I remember taking an inventory of all of the baggage and I would have loved to have blamed somebody else for it. Um, there are contributing factors to the reasons why I did what I did. But at the end of the day, I remember looking at in the mirror and saying, you did this to yourself. You have to take responsibility for all of the baggage that you now carry. And it was the best and most freeing thing that I ever did for myself. Because once you take responsibility for your actions and you don't blame anybody else for them, then you can change them. If they're always um, somebody else's fault, then you never change you because it was never you. So as soon as you acknowledge your part that you play in it, then you can fix you and then you can have a better life for yourself and you can be a stronger believer. As long as it is never your fault, then you never have to change, which is not good at all. Um, Hebrews 12, 6, because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastens everyone who accepts as a son. A lot of times it can be God. Not a lot of times, I'll say. Sometimes it can be God. And a lot of people will say, God, uh, I've heard one of my favorite preachers just says, God loves you. He would never discipline. He doesn't punish. 
That was Old Testament. That's not true. Hebrews is in is in the New Testament. <laughs> so that does away with that argument. Because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. The word is very clear. It says when you are raising your children, it says to not spare the rod. Okay? If It says if you do not um, punish your child, you hate your child. Okay, so why would God be any different in the New Testament? When we do not spank our children when they misbehave, guess what's going to happen? Our children are going to become worse and worse and worse. They don't listen to you because they figure they're just going to get a nice talking to. Or they're going to be put in timeout chair. That is, if the timeout chair was a great way to discipline, then God would have put it in the Bible. Okay, it's not in there. It says to spank your child. There's a reason why, because spanking works. You'll have to, if you start spanking your kid, you'll have to discipline them far less. But parents, it's like the big, like, I don't know what, I don't know what it is, but like, I would never hit my child. I've heard people who are, uh, are, that are believers say, I would, I wouldn't hit my child, or there's other ways to discipline, or are other means to do this and that. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You live by biblical principle. Biblical principle is spare the rod, spoil the child, and a parent, a, a father hates his son is what it says if they do not discipline their child. So, like, I don't say you spank every single time, but you spank, spank for defiance, for rebellion, because you will get that if you do not, you know... Strong discipline, super important. But for us to think that God doesn't discipline us when we make mistakes, well, then Hebrews 12, 6, 6 should be taken out of the Bible. It really should. Because sometimes what you're experiencing is sometimes your bad decision, reaping and sowing for it, and God loves you so much, he accepts you as his son that he disciplines you for that. So it could be multiple things. It could be demonic attack, Unless you're not saved, then if you're not saved, then it could be generational curse or it's your bad decision and then God correcting you. It's one of those things. So easy peasy. Question number three. Oh, crap. I said a question number three. <laughs> Next question. Dang that. Next question. Why are, we why are we commanded to pray if God already knows what we need and want? That's true. God does know what we need and what, uh, what, um, what we want. It, it, that's said in the, in the word a lot that he already knows. I mean, there's scriptures for that. That is absolutely true. But I will tell you the reason why you, you need to do it is because he commanded us to pray, even though he knows what you need. He commanded you to, to ask. Um, so because he did that, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter that he already knows it. Um, he wants you to do it anyway. Because um, he said so. Let me, let, you, let me just say this. Like, um, if this person that asked this question is a parent, then they might understand this. It might make more sense to them. If this is a person that has no children, then... It might a little bit, but when your kids are, when, when you have children and they're growing up, 
you a lot of times you already know what they want. They don't ever have to tell you what they want. I mean, at Christmas time, a lot of times parents already know what their kids want. They're not asking. I mean, we ask uh, for the list of what they what they want for Christmas. Um, sometimes it's only because there might be something you don't know, and you want to make sure you have that under the tree. But most of the time, you know everything they're going to say because you know your kid inside and out. You really do. You know their hobbies, their likes, their dislikes. You know what the new thing they're wanting to to get involved in, whatever the case may be. So you already know. But the thing is, is you ask them. Um, that's Christmas time. But if but a lot of times you already know what they want. And the reason why you want them to tell you what you want is so that you can already be like, I'm giving that to you. I already got that. And then also because then you'll be able to say, I know you so well. I love you so much. I already got that for you. I got that taken care of. And then you see the joy and the elation on your kid's face. Like, you know that they mean something to you because you've already taken care of it or you they know you're taking care of it for you. God loves us. He, he, it says, if we don't worship him, the rocks will cry out. He loves us um, admiring, adoring him, worshiping him, seeing that um, he loves us to see how much he loves us. And that's just one way for us to see that. But as a parent, like, you know, you love seeing the joy um, on your kids' faces or face when you give them what they want. And sometimes they didn't have to ask. But it's also cool when they did ask and you give them that very thing. Um, So there's multiple, for me, there's multiple reasons why he wants us to do it. But more importantly, I do it because that's what he says. Matthew 7, 7 through 11 says... Um, this, this part of this scripture is referenced, keep asking, seeking, knocking. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For, for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. But then look at what it references to this. It says, or what man is there among you? So we as Mortal beings, this is what he's saying. For what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, who is in heaven, give good gifts or give good things to those who ask him? So he wants us to ask. And in the Greek, the word mean, ask means demand. He demands that we ask him so it's not an option even though he knows what you what you want or what we want he demands that we ask him philippians 4 6 says do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to god it's not an option he wants you to ask so sometimes you don't need to know why you know, I love the questions, and I think it's important to ask questions, but sometimes there's just no answer other than because I told you so. I mean, all of us, to some degree, that have children, um, we've said that to our kid. They, you know, they have to know why. And at the end of the day, the only reason is is because I said. That's what I said, and that's what you're going to do. 
So that's just the way it is. And we have to be willing to accept that. Matthew 6, 8 says, For your father knows the things you need of before you ask him. So I think that as a parent, I love when my kids can... they do it now they're adults so they can pretty much buy whatever they want for the most part except for my son my son that's not true because he lives off of me right now while he's doing his training um uh i know heather's laughing my son is uh just finished his last amateur fight he kicked butt took names i'm super proud of him on saturday night or well last saturday night um so Right now, he lives off of me and my husband because also all he does is train. He works, you know, part-time, but I don't really get, get him anywhere. So, um, so, but he doesn't really ask either. He just uses my credit card. <laughs> so forget that. Um, but when my kids were growing up, I loved when they talked to me and they asked me for something and they, you know, just wanted to communicate. And so it's just one more way for God to communicate with us, and for us to share our, our dreams, uh, maybe maybe something that you want, spiritually speaking, will lead you into a conversation with the Lord that he can take you to the next level of, okay, the reason I planted that in your heart and I'm going to give that to you is because here's the next step that you're going to go after that. It just opens the door to conversation with God that you don't know where it's going to take you, and um, but it's just a sweet time to spend with him so um, like if you have kids you might understand this question a little bit better if you don't then it might not make sense but I would say put yourself in God's shoes if you were God would it make sense that he wants you to just ask him for the things that he already knows you want and I think that you'll have an underst- a deeper understanding and appreciation and I do that question was really good so next question is righteousness considered a free gift and is it an action to be right with god like an option as part of our salvation now i was a little confused about this question and even the person that wrote this question said i hope that makes sense so what i'm going to do is i'm going to try and answer this question the way that i understand it and hopefully it is the way that you meant it and did you just hear like a gunshot yeah Uh, okay. It's probably a nail gun. Okay. We have a lot of con- uh, construction work around in here, but we also don't have the, this, this is not a seedy neighborhood, but it's a little seedy. So we don't, the church isn't in the best place. It could have been a gunshot for all we know, for crying out loud. Huh? We're in a bubble. We're good. Yeah. We're, we have a hedge of protection around us. I'm not worried about that, but a gunshot it sounded like one, but it must, yeah, it was probably a nail gun. Okay. So let me get a drink real quick. I'm parched. What is that? Oh, there was a bomb down the road the other day. That is true. The cops were surrounding the place pretty much. That is true. Bomb threat. See, that's why you have to visit us here at Foundation Church. (laughs) If you've never been, (laughs) you never know what's going to go on. Like, it's exciting. It's always fun. It's always exciting. It's an adventure. Hey, listen, if you've been to Pastor Rodney's The River, it's about the same. Like, it's not in the best of neighborhoods. It's kind of seedy. Good time, though. Good time. I promise you a good time. I promise you a good time. You come to Foundation Church, you've never been? It's a good time. 
You never know what's going to happen. Boom. Okay. Let me read the question again because I got off topic. Okay. Is righteousness considered a free gift? And is it an action to be right with God? Like an option as part of our, as, as part of our salvation. I have a burp in my throat. Hold on. Okay. I'm a lot better. Listen. Like, I'm me. I don't know what to tell you. I got to be me. I'm about to sing I got to be me. I'm not going to change. Whatever's in this beautiful mind comes out of this beautiful mouth. I was about to say not so nice mouth, but my mouth is nice. So I'm going to read that question one more time for the third time. Is righteousness considered a free gift? And is it an action to be right with God like an option as part of our salvation? So the first question is, yes, righteousness is a free gift. That is absolutely so because we got two questions in this one. So the answer to the first one is yes, it's a free gift. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the scripture for that. Romans 5.17 says, For if by the one man's offense, death, so Jesus dying on the cross, if, or for if by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So... The man that sins, okay, so the offense of, of one man's death, the man who sins, reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in the life through the one, Jesus Christ. So Jesus purchasing uh, our salvation on the cross makes you righteous, free. As soon as you accept him as your Lord and Savior, you are righteous. Now here's the thing. The scripture says, seek ye first the righteousness. Um, seek ye first the righteousness of God, and then all these things will be added unto you. You're supposed to be, once you get saved, you're supposed to be continually seeking righteousness. You are the righteousness of God, but you seek it continuously. And so if you do, more things will be added unto you. It's a promise. So I'm not 100% sure about the second part. This is where I get a little confused slightly. So if your question is being right with God in action, then the answer to that is yes, okay? Because actions speak louder than words, right? A lot of people think it's the other way around. Like you should just, my words should be enough. Well, if your words are different than your actions, then they are opposite of each other and you can't trust your words. Like the word is clear. We, Jesus said we're to be fruit inspectors. You'll know them by their fruit. You'll know them by their actions. Not you'll know them by their words. No, you'll know them by your fruit. If something is growing, let's say uh, if a tree bears bad fruit, which is what it says, then you know the, the tree is bad. If the tree produces good fruit, then you know the tree is good, right? So just because someone's words are sound good, but their actions are bad, because it says, whatever you reap, you will sow. So if you sow, which means if you plant something in the ground, an action, if you sow bad, if your action is bad, then you'll bad, bear bad fruit. If your action is good, then you're going to bear 
good fruit. That's just the way it is. Um, Romans 5, 16 through 26 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. So, actions. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Okay, so... The acts of the flesh are obvious. So how you behave, okay? The sexually immoral, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now, here a lot of people say that all these things, you can do all these things. You say the sinner's prayer once. You can behave like any way you want to, but you said the sinner's prayer. You can live any way you want to, and you still go to heaven. Romans 5 says different. And a lot of people live like this. They say, well, as long as I don't commit adultery, as long as um, I don't murder, I'm heaven bound. This is not the same. Sexually immoral, immoral so pornography, masturbation, Um, let's see, pornography, masturbation, um, fornication, having sex outside of marriage, homosexuality, that one right there covers a whole bunch right there, okay? Impurity and debauchery, idolatry. A lot of people, I mean, we have shows called American Idol. I mean, come on. We worship at the feet of football players. We know better, we know stats about athletes better, um, like MLB players, um, uh, basketball we know them way better than we know the word of God in fact most people have stats that they know about their favorite whatever and they don't know one bible verse that's a fact shame on you witchcraft people will have no problem in going and reading somebody's you know read my hand read my palm getting on and listening to somebody read their fortune or whatever you stay away from it you're not supposed to be involved in that Hatred. People get so mad at family members, they have hate in their heart towards their family member. And they will not forgive them, or a friend, or whatever. That, in so much you forgive, you are forgiven. That is what the Bible says. So you have no option. You can't hate somebody. You have to forgive. That is it, period. There is no one, nothing on this earth that you should have hate, hate for. Discord, jealousy. People live in jealousy. Jealousy is like their second or their middle name because they're jealous over everyone and everything. Why do you think uh, keeping up with the Joneses is so common? We see it today. If somebody gets something, you got to get that. But you might need to get the better one of that because you always have to be a step ahead of someone else or something. Jealousy. Terrible. Fits of rage. People who, you know, this is hilarious to me. People allow their children, small children, to throw temper tantrums. Get on the ground, throw a temper tantrum, whatever. What are you teaching your child to do in a temper tantrum? A fit of rage. So when they get to be older, guess what they do? They have an adult temper tantrum. You're teaching your child to sin when you allow them to throw a temper tantrum. I had never allowed that in my family. or My, ch my children never got away with it. They got spankings for it. You're not going to have a fit of rage. I will not participate and I will not help you sin. It's not going to happen. Selfish ambition. 
People who will step over people to get ahead. That's what that's talking about. Dissensions, people who gossip, who cause strife among friends or other people. Churches are filled with it. Trying to ruin, um, talking bad about staff members or talking bad about uh, the leadership. Um, family, it's common. People and families talk so bad about each other. It's, it's terrible. And then when they see them, they're sweet to their face. It's terrible. Factions and envy, drunkenness. I could teach a whole lesson on drunkenness. Most people do not know that one glass of wine is usually your tipsy because the alcohol level is far beyond what it was in biblical times. So orgies and the like. I warn you, this is what it says. I warn you, Paul said this. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this not struggle. Struggling is different. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you said a sinner's prayer when you were like 15 years old and now you're living in a homosexual lifestyle or you're having sex outside of marriage or you're a hateful person and you won't forgive somebody or you drink every single day to the point of drunkenness, it doesn't matter you said the sinner's prayer. It says those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's a fact. There's a lot of denominations now that are teaching, not even that you say the sinner's prayer. They're not even saying that if you said the sinner's prayer, they're just saying as long as you said a sinner's prayer, you're going to heaven. It doesn't, ma- it doesn't matter. Or you don't really need, you just need to do a fresh start, a new beginning. That's not even asking for forgiveness of sin. I don't even know what that is. I mean, it's not even a confession and saying that I want you to be Lord of my life. It's, it's frightening. It says, um, those that live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit, and we're all to live, all of us, when we ask Jesus into our hearts, and we say, you're Lord of our lives, all of us now have the fruit of the Spirit. So you can quit praying for peace. It already dwells inside of you. Or patience. Lord, give me patience. You got it. If you're saved, you got the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit lives in you. Don't quit praying for patience. Start reining it in and using what you already have. You have it, so use it, okay? It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Everything that the Word said, that if you do these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, all of it's covered into the fruits of the Spirit. You just need to access what you already have, start using it, and then the Things that are, if you, uh, if you do these things, you'll not inherit the kingdom of heaven, will eliminate out of your life. They'll be gone, right? Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh, your carnal nature, with its possessions, uh, passions, and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying of others. Another action scripture, so it's actions, it's works. People will tell you, it's not workspace. This is not a workspace faith. Well, baloney, Romans 5, 16 through 26, just said that it is, okay? Here's another one. John 15, 1 through 10 says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already, you are already clean because of the word, which I have spoken to you. Abide in me. That's an action, just so you know. In order to abide in something, you have to do that. That's an action. And I in you. 
as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So you have to abide in him. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Now this goes against people who say that you can't lose your salvation. Well, that's, that's not true because you have to abide in him to stay. Okay. And it goes further. It says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me, you can do nothing. So we are supposed to be about something. If anyone does not abide in me, so you can choose not to, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. This is important. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. In order to be a disciple, you must abide in him. And it says that you have to make the decision to stay in abiding in him. Love and joy is perfected. So as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, action, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abided in his love. Okay, it is works. It is actions. That's just facts. James 2.20 says, But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Okay. Um, I'm not saying you have to do works like the Jehovah Witness and the Mormons who are walking the streets. Okay. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not like the Jehovah Witness. The, the, one of the great, great reasons the kingdom halls are the cleanest places you've ever walked in is because they believe that works are going to get them into heaven. So like they are always working. They're out there trying to win somebody to them or they're cleaning up something. Okay, that is not the works that I'm referring to. I'm, I'm talking about holiness. You should always be working to be holy. You should always be struggling with sin is verse is not the same as living in sin you should be eradicating sin on a daily basis it says we are to be perfect as his father is perfect we should be striving for perfection okay you may say well i'll never attain it well daggum try i mean don't just sit there and go i'll never get there so you're not doing anything about it that's not what the word tells you to do it says to try, to to be perfect like his father in heaven is okay so you're supposed to you're supposed to strive for perfection that's just the way it is. So now we've run out of time and I've gone way past it. Super sorry. But I'm not going to, I'm going to close out and I am going to make sure that you have the opportunity to, to be saved. That's just what, for me, that's all that matters. That's all that this is about. I love answering questions, but I'm going to be honest with you. It's far more important to win the lost than it is to answer your question. And um, so if you are not saved or if you've walked away from God, All of us at one time have not been saved and some of us have walked away from God. And so if that is one, if, if, if you meet that criteria, I want to say, um, I want to, I want to say the sinner's prayer with you and I want you to, uh, to change. I want you to repent, come to know him and have the life and life more abundantly. Like he promises for you. And, uh, if you feel like you want to do that, there's a reason for that right now, you know, that life is not that great. And you know that there's probably something way better out there for you and you want to give it a chance. So I'm going to give you that opportunity. Say this prayer with me. I'm going to close my eyes with you and just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I come to you right now. 
I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And from this day forward, I will live for you. And I will spend eternity in heaven with you when I die. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you said that prayer, you are heaven bound. I would say to, to you to find a good church. And I, when I mean good church, I mean holiness church. You need to be discipled. If you live in this area, if you live anywhere, we have people who travel from the east coast of Florida to church almost every Sunday. If you live, we have people who live in Bradington. We're in the middle of Sarasota County. They travel about an hour and a half to two hours to church every day, all the way down to Naples. They come to church. And that's about a two hour, hour and a half, two hour track. Listen, if you live in the area, there are very few good churches around. Please come, introduce yourself to me. I wanna meet you. We will help you, we will disciple you, and we will get you strong in the Lord, okay? It says in the word, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We will make you as bold as a lion and whatever comes your way, you will face it head on and you will win. Victory is yours in Jesus name. Amen. All right. I will see you on Friday, three to four. Bye. Real talk.